Hello. Hello. He's Oliver. She's Lucy. And you're listening to Anyway Movies. The podcast of film fanatics and movie maniacs. The podcast of discussions, debates and occasional distractions as we talk about all things cinema. If you like what you hear, be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on podcasting platforms. Big shout out to my sister Molly for creating the logo and images for our podcast. Give her a follow on Instagram at underscore Molly underscore Joanne underscore. Now that's all out of the way, dim the lights, turn the projector on. And let's start the episode. Hello, again, friend of a friend. I knew you well. Dum, 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 dum. I don't know the other lyrics. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's good enough. So, hello, welcome back. This week, we are doing our second movie review. Last week, we did Lucy's favourite film, which was... The Prestige. Go check that out if you haven't. This week, we're doing one of my favourite films. I am so excited. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Woo! Yes! yes. <laughs> oh, I absolutely friggin' love this movie so, so much. It is just one of the best pieces of cinema I have ever seen. It's definitely for me in that list of you know movies you would recommend people to watch. Yeah. Like that is in like my top five. So (laughs) before we get too into this, this is gonna be the spoiler free section of the podcast. We're gonna talk about cast, we're gonna talk a little bit of history, a little bit of facts about the movie, and then later on we'll be doing a more spoiler-filled section. So just keep that in mind. So Scott Pilgrim vs. The World is a 2010 movie based off graphic novel series by Brian Lee O'Malley. Scott Pilgrim, our main character, is a bit of a... He's not a good person, shall we say. (laughs) He fights a League of Evil exes of his girlfriend, which I think is something that some people might be able to relate to. Do you have a League of Evil exes, Lucy? I have no exes, Oliver. You know this. Do not call me out like this. I don't appreciate it. See, I thought you were going to get creative and tell a story, but fine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would if I had a story to tell. (laughs) (laughs) The truth is, I have none. Well, that's okay, because me as well. We are lonely. (laughs) 21-year-old loners. Don't you just love it? And that's why we started a podcast. Yes. This is what happens (laughs) when 21-year-olds who still haven't had partners don't have a partner yet. (laughs) They create podcasts about movies. To caress them in their loneliness. In their lonely hours. Oh, God. This is getting way too real. Move on, please. The movie's directed by Edgar Wright. The screenplay was written by Edgar Wright and Michael Bacall. So, Lucy, this was your second time viewing the movie. You told me that 
the original thoughts on the movie was that it wasn't a bad movie by any means, but it just wasn't particularly your cup of tea. Uh-huh. I would like to know what you thought about it upon a second viewing. Well, I watched it for a second time two days ago, and I am happy to announce that I enjoyed it a lot more than I did the first time. Yes. Oh. Um, it's still not, like, I, I don't think I'm on the love level yet. But I do really, really like it. I think it's really entertaining. And I kind of came to the conclusion that it's not really a sort of film that can be critiqued. It's just a really fun, entertaining watch that doesn't really need any nitpicks. It's just a film. That makes me so happy that you (laughs) like it. Because I mean, this has been a success. This has been a success because you like The Prestige and now I like Scott Pilgrim versus The World. So <sighs> it's been a success for both of us, really. We've got each other into our favourite films, which is quite nice. It is. It is. It's also nice to really have someone to talk about because I don't really know anyone else who's seen the movie other than family members and now you. I've asked people about it before, and people either have never heard of it, which is stupid. Sorry, I came across a lot more aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, calm down, Oliver. Calm down. People are allowed their own opinions, and if you didn't like this movie, that is completely fine. But basically, your opinion is wrong. Basically, <laughs> no. So I have a lot of personal attachment to this movie because I have some personal attachment to the graphic novel series as well. Right. And so my uncle is an art teacher and he's a big fan of comics and graphic novels as well. There was a period in my life where I was very sort of enclosed, a bit more quiet, not very confident in myself as much as I hope to become in the future. So getting to talk to him about things that we both found interesting, like graphic novels and comics and stories and art and things like that, definitely helped. He would lend me some of his graphic novels from time to time, and whenever I would see him, keep swapping them back and forth. And he bought me the first four volumes of the graphic novel series for Scott Pilgrim, and... I devoured those four volumes so much so that um, I couldn't wait for him to buy me the last two, so I bought them myself. And I genuinely loved the graphic novel series so much. I've reread them so many times. It's it's been one of those book series that were really prevalent to me growing up. And then I found out there was a movie about it and I'm like, well, I have to watch the movie. And I was really scared because I was worried that it was going to be a bad movie because I couldn't really picture how they would make this graphic novel series into a movie. And the way they've done it is just better than I ever could have hoped. Yeah, I can see why you'd think that. So for those who don't know, uh, the movie is... It's sort of a combination of a comic book panel and a video game brought to life, in effect. 
there's lots of cues of like classic video game nostalgia with like Zelda themes. I think Sonic's in there. The eight bit Universal logo at the very beginning. Oh, I loved that so much. I completely forgot that that was a thing. And then it started, and I was like, actually, this is pretty neat. I know. It's not uncommon for movies nowadays to do something like that. But like 10, yeah. but 10 years ago, I don't really remember many movies doing things like that. So that was just cool. It very much immerses itself in this sort of hyper-realistic, true-to-life video game, graphic novel, comic film type situation yeah i love the style of this film so much i mean we'll get more into it once we start talking about the actual film but yeah i just love the way it was filmed it's just so good i think edgar wright did an amazing job directing it and before we get any further onto like the cast and stuff what about the music why were they all bops though i know Every single song was a bop, and I hate that. <laughs> Why do you hate that? I kind of hate the fact that they were all bops because they really shouldn't. Have been. <laughs> they shouldn't have. They they shouldn't have been bops, but they were like, every single. Song. They were all written by um, like established bands and musicians that very much delve into the style of music that each band played. So, for this hyper-real video game movie, it's very realistic in that way. Definitely. Yeah, I, I love the music overall. Definitely. What's your favourite song, and why is it I Am So Sad, So Very, Very Sad? I mean, it, it can't be any other song, can it? It can't. Those 13 seconds. <laughs> I kind of hate how my fireballs was literally having me groove in my bed. Like, oh. No, 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 wait, wait. <laughs> out, out of context, out of context. Oh my out, God. I watched this film while I was sat on my bed, okay? Before any of you weirdos start thinking about anything weird <laughs> I wa- I watched it no, no. <laughs> oh my goodness this is going completely off the rails <laughs> we're not even half an hour in yet and we're already <laughs> if you want to fight me and my fireballs it took me completely off guard and then I just found myself bopping my head and I was like you shouldn't be finding this cool he is the evil ex you shouldn't be siding with him because he has a bop (laughs) but there I was bopping in my bed (laughs) fireballs it doesn't help that the title song was called fireballs though does it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is why I'm single <laughs> oh no oh. shall we move on to the cast <laughs> please 
Okay. Michael Sarah, Scott Pilgrim, go. Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Ramona. Ellen Wong as Knives Chow. Kieran Culkin as Wallace. Oh, I love Wallace. I love Wallace so much. I think he's my favourite character. Oh, I, I had a feeling you would like him. It's Wallace. You can't go wrong with Wallace. You can't. Anna Kendrick, Stacey Pilgrim. Brie Larson as Envy. Alison Pill as Kim Pine. Johnny Simmons as Neil, or young Neil. But Mar- he, he's Neil. Mark Webber as Stephen Stills. Aubrey Plaza as Julie. We love Julie. Julie might be my favourite character, just because I love every scene she's in. I do as well, to be fair. She's really funny. And we'll leave all the evil exes, because there's seven, and but we're going to talk about them, so we might as well talk about them in order. This cast is stacked. Stacked. And there isn't a weak link. No, I don't think there is. I think everybody is so perfectly cast. It's insane how well cast it is. I don't picture anybody else in these roles. I know. It just wouldn't be the same. Talk about a dream team. Most of these people were not even as big as they are now. I mean, some of them have become huge stars since this film. But back in 2010, they were just maybe either starting out or maybe they'd done a few projects before and this was just one of them. This was Ellen, this was Ellen Wong's very first movie. What a CV. What a CV. Imagine being like, oh, so what was your first role? Uh, nice child, Scott Pilgrim, you know. That is a flex. Shall we shall we talk about knives? Sweet, sweet knives. Let's talk about knives. Oh, she deserves so much better. <laughs> I'm going to confess something here. Okay. When I first watched the film, I didn't like Knives' character. I thought she was very annoying. And I thought that her character redemption at the end wasn't earned. Right. Second viewing, I love her. I feel really sorry for her. Knives Child. Not that she needs to be protected because kick ass, but Knives Knives Child deserves to be protected. I feel I can relate to Knives so much about (laughs) fan girling so hard over people. Loving somebody who doesn't love you back. I've been there. I didn't, I didn't expect this episode to be so hard. <laughs> I mean, maybe we're getting close to the reason why you love this film so much, Oliver. <laughs> I just start weeping. <laughs> it speaks to you. It just speaks to you. I see myself in every character. That's not even a lie as well. I kind of saw myself in every single character as well. Do you know, the original movie was supposed to end with... Scott and Knives together. Really? Yeah, they originally had it scripted that way. But then they thought it made more sense for him to end up with Ramona because he spent the whole movie fighting for her. I mean, that's fair enough. I don't think I would have hated it either way, but I do think it was right that he ended up with Ramona because I really like them 
They filmed both endings, though. You can watch both endings. I didn't know this. I'll be on to that after we do this podcast. It's sweet. The one thing that isn't sweet, though, Scott Pilgrim, Mr. Michael Sarah, he was incredible as Scott Pilgrim. That, that I just realised, I said that and I made it sound like he was terrible. That's not what I meant. He played the character well. The character is terrible. He did a good job of trying to make him as likeable as possible, even though he is a piece of shit. Basically. Because you sort of understand why he acts the way he does. And I think Michael Sarah did that really well because Scott could have been such a dislikable protagonist and I think if he was too much of an ass, I don't think that anybody would have wanted him to succeed the film wouldn't have done as well this is what I mean about perfect casting I just don't picture anybody else in these roles like everybody was perfect yeah I feel like standout performances you can't really pick one because they all like they all complement each other really well they all brought their a game definitely the way it was all acted and directed makes perfect sense for this kind of movie Mm -hmm. but i do want to say alison pill as kim pine had barely any lines spent the majority of the movie just acting with her face and you could yes. always tell <laughs> how she was feeling. <laughs> Did you know as well, um, all the cast were like given things for their character that weren't necessarily ever, they weren't ever stated in the movie, but it was to help them like create more of a real character for them to act. For example, Ramona Flowers, she talks about like leaving New York and it sort of led to believe the reason she left was Gideon. And that is true. But Mary Elizabeth Winstead, she was told that she had this secret that she witnessed her brother die at a very young age and that traumatised her. And even though that isn't canon in the graphic novel series and it was only something used to help her develop her character in the movie, I just thought that was really interesting. I didn't know any of this, but now that you've said that, she did kind of have have like a haunted look on her face. Yeah. All the way through the film, like she'd been through some shit. And I I remember thinking to myself that that look can't be because of a few awful exes, right? But now that you've said that, yeah, I could kind of see that on her face. Mm. Even though it's not mentioned in the movie. Another one was um Julie, apparently, has a crush on Scott. Oh my goodness, I can definitely see that now. All of these things. Yeah, it's like they're never said in the movie. They were just given for the actor to help build their character. You can either tell that there's something off or something else there, or you find out that it's there and you're like, that makes so much more sense. So, do you want to get into the spoiler section, start talking about the film more in depth? I do, because I really want to talk about the exes. I really want to talk about the exes. <laughs> from this moment on, if you have not seen the film and don't want to be spoiled from certain jokes or character developments, then go and watch the film. It is on Netflix. If you are in the UK, 
to go and watch it, then come back. Okay. Shall we talk about the seven X's? Let's do it. The best way to do this would just be in order, wouldn't it? Yeah. Okay, so first we have Matthew Patel, played by Satya Baba. Amazing. Amazing character. I loved Matthew Patel. He deserves the world. (laughs) The one thing I find funny is the whole they dated for like a week and a half. Yeah, I think, didn't she say it was 7th or 8th grade or something? Yeah. (laughs) Poor Matthew. Lucy has already expressed how much she loves his song. I'm so glad that you didn't say we already know how much Lucy loved his fireballs. You you almost make it sound like you want me to say that. (laughs) I mean, you had the opportunity there and you didn't take it, so I just thought I'd call you out. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) One thing I really like about not just him, but all the exes, was how they all had very, like, distinct costuming personalities, but they also all had a lot of things that referenced to what number X they were. Did you notice when Matthew Patel first enters the scene, when he first breaks through the roof, he's holding up one finger straight away. That's literally, he he just breaks through going, Mr. Pilgrim, with one finger. Oh, yeah. Wow. That went right over my head. (laughs) And it would be like, for the second X, he's got two Xs on his belt buckle, and he's got a number two tattoo on his neck. That is mental. I didn't notice any of that. That's really clever. Like, the third X, obviously, he's got a big number three on his chest. Yeah. And so on and so on. Wow. Well... My next time watching Scott Pilgrim, I'm just going to be looking for all of those things. Yeah. I do really like, though, how Matthew Patel is teased very early on. Like, before um, he's even asked out Ramona, but but Scott's decided he's going to ask out Ramona, he gets an email from Matthew being, I think we're going to be fighting soon. (laughs) Beware, the League of Evil Exes. Okay, so this was the scene where I had to pause the film because I was laughing so hard. There is a line that Scott says, and I am going to butcher it. He basically reads this email that he gets from Matthew Patel, and his reaction is, This is boring. Delete. And I laughed so hard. I don't know why. That was the line that made you pause the movie for five minutes. I have no idea why. It isn't even the funniest line in the movie. It was just the way he goes, delete. Like, just that bit just sent me. I was howling. And I have no idea why. I think... I... I, I... I don't have, you know what, I'm not even going to come up with an excuse. I have no idea why I laughed so hard at that line, but I did. Congratulations, Michael Sarah. Wow. I've actually put in my notes the quote so that I didn't forget it. Oh, I've got um, a couple of my favourite quotes 
written out here, such as bread makes you fat. <laughs> he punched the highlights out of her hair. Oh my god, yeah. Or near the very end when Scott and Stacy are on the swings and Stacy's like, we don't date the girl with 11 evil exes. And Scott's like, it's seven. And then Stacy goes, oh, that's not so bad. <laughs> Stacy has a past. <laughs> I just, I, I do really like the dynamic between Stacy, Scott, and Wallace. Yes. Because like Stacy is Scott's little little sister. I was going to say little brother. <laughs> Stacy's got little sister. Literally, every five minutes, she's in the next scene being like, "You're doing this. You're going to do that. You're thinking of juggling two chicks." And she's like, how do you keep finding out all these things? Wallace, duh. <laughs> I specifically like the scene where Wallace is really drunk and passes out on the bed. And then Scott is on the phone to Stacey. And then she's asking him about what happened. And then Scott's like, how do you know? And she went, Wallace. And then Wallace is just still passed out on the bed, but he's texting on his phone. <laughs> Get you a man who, even when he's asleep, can text you back. Wallace is my favourite character in the entire film. He is just super funny. And anyone would be lucky to have a friend like him, but also very unlucky, (laughs) because he can be an arse. Yeah, uh, if you have a boyfriend with glasses... Oh my goodness, that scene. I just find it funny because obviously Ramona says, say goodbye to you two gay friends for me. And, and Stacey's like, gay friend, turns around, sees Wallace making out with her boyfriend, and she goes, Wallace, again? Like I said, Stacey has a past. We need to explore it. Where's that story? I want a Stacey and Wallace spin-off. Yes. Okay, so the second evil ex, Lucas Lee, played by none other than Captain America himself. Chris Evans. Hello. Can we both agree that Lucas Lee has the best character introduction and best film entrance in cinematic history. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will go for that. I will. The use of the universal theme while he's stepping out of his trailer is unmatched. The slow motion, Oliver. You just can't... You, you can't get better than that, surely. Well, just that whole scene where... A fight on a movie set. Scott fights all his stunt doubles. And then he tricks him into basically poofing into coins by (laughs) grinding down a rail on a skateboard. It's nuts. So it's just a really... Like, just saying it out loud, it sounds like a really bizarre scene. It does. And when you watch it, it's a really bizarre scene. I mean, if you think about it, This entire script 
I can imagine people reading this script for the first time and thinking, this is going to flop so hard. Well, it didn't do very well when it, it was first put out in the cinema. Did it not really? No. Like, it didn't do bad. Critics really liked it. And the people who knew about it liked it. Because, like, again, most of these actors weren't that well-known back then. And yeah, it was quite a small budget movie compared to what you would consider to be big Hollywood blockbusters. This is not. Mm. It makes you wonder whether if Scott Pilgrim was made this year and all of these actors were still, like, you know, as big as they are now, would this film have done as well? Obviously, without COVID. It, it, it makes you wonder, doesn't that is, it? That's really interesting because we've seen lots of examples of bad movies doing well because of a stacked cast. We've also we've yeah. also seen instances of good movies with a stacked cast doing not so well. Yeah. For some reason, I don't think it would do as well. I don't either. I would hope I was wrong. I think by now there have been so many video game-like movies that I think it would just kind of stay in the background. Yeah. I don't think it. W- I don't think it would have stood out. Really, um, I think people would have found it a bit too much, a bit too try-hard. Because that's what I thought when I first watched it. Because I didn't. My first time watching it wasn't that long ago. It was about a year, a year and a half ago. And I and I was watching it like this is way too try-hard. They're trying way too hard to make this funny. I mean, I didn't hate the movie. I've never hated the movie. I just didn't. I, I didn't click with it. And I think the re- I think the reasoning for that is just because I didn't grow up with it. I didn't watch it in 2010. Obviously, ever since 2010, there's been a massive technological resurgence, and suddenly everybody wants to do all of these big action packed with video game effects, like take Ready Player One, pixels, like. It- there's been a lot of it, so yeah, thinking about it, I really don't think it would have done as well. Which is a shame. A massive shame. This has kind of become a cult classic. I can imagine this being like the Pulp Fiction of 2050. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's like, it's our generation's Pulp Fiction. Yeah. This generation's breakfast club or stand by me or goonies goonies i love the goonies it is very but it does very much have a cult following and as time's gone on more people have watched it it's become more and more popular i don't think it would have been the same if it was released now i think it would be received well for people I think it would, it would be similar. It would be received well for people who knew what it was. I think critically, it would have. I think it would have been reviewed a lot harsher. I feel like because people would see the good things in it that they saw before. But again, like you said, with it, with like the video game, the comic book, the graphic novel, those kind of movies being very big and very apparent in today's society. It would just be seen as another thing rather than 
yeah. its individual self. With that being said, shall we move on to the third Evil X? Let's do it. Well, we this is two for one because we've got the third Evil X of Ramona Flowers, which is Todd Ingham, played by Brandon Ralph, who you may know as Superman from Superman Returns or the Atom from the CW's Arrowverse. But along with him comes Scott's evil ex, if you will, Envy Adams, played by bloody Captain Marvel, of all people, Miss Brie Larson. I really loved Todd. I thought he was really, really funny. Without looking like he was trying too hard to be funny. He was just dead natural yeah. with it. Like, I know people who are as dumb as Todd is. <laughs> Did you know, in that scene, you can see, when they show the moon, that you can see a hole in the moon? No, I didn't notice that. I mean, I know the whole, like, punch the hole in the moon yeah. thing, but I, I didn't notice Yeah, you that can detail. actually see it in the movie. But that whole scene where they go backstage and... You know, like, how no one's blinking? Yes. Yeah. Well, it was deliberate in the fact that, well, they're graphic novel characters. Like, when you think of things like comics and graphic novels, you also tend to think of cartoons and animation. And so they were... Well, Brie Larson specifically was told, like, not to blink to make her character feel more like an anime character, a cartoon character. And in that scene when no one blinks, it's kind of everyone doing that. One thing that's different from the movie and the graphic novel series in that scene, it's not Todd that punches knives. It's the drummer. And in the graphic novel, the drummer has a bionic arm and she's the one that punches knives and the highlights come out of her hair. Oh my God. Yeah, the, the graphic novel series goes a lot more crazy with it. I love, I love it. Like the very end, <laughs> Gideon has kidnapped basically all of his exes, and they they're all like in stasis chambers sleeping because he doesn't want to let any of them go, and he wants to control them all. Jesus. Oh yeah. Also, did you know when making this movie, it was original. There was originally like ideas of it to basically be Scott's like a mental patient, and it was his way. This whole movie was basically his way of coping with the fact that he's murdered seven people. <laughs> I would have hated and, that. I'm going to yeah, be honest. Yeah, me too. And also, there was another one where it was going to be, there was going to be like a news report talking about how there are all these deaths connected to the Battle of the Bands and stuff. And it'll be following news reports on a Toronto-based serial killer. <laughs> There were lots of ideas thrown about, and I think that's really cool. But even though I, even yeah, though I personally the... wouldn't have liked those two ideas for this kind of movie, and I'm glad they didn't go with them, the fact that they really threw a lot of time and effort into coming up with different stylized ideas, different plot threads, different storylines, and just like properly worked on them all to see where they could go with each of them. They didn't leave a stone they unturned. They thought of every possible way it could be interpreted, which, 
you know, I mean, you can tell when you watch this film how much effort it took. I've written here that you can't miss a single second of this film or else you'll be lost because the transitions are just so quick oh, and that, seamless and that. slick that if you blink once, you are going to miss some hilarious comedic timing. That, that, I can't believe we haven't even talked about that yet. Like, the scene transitions. Just the different how you'll be walking into one scene and then walking out of it and then walking straight into another scene as if it was the same scene. Like, it looking like a comic panel as it sort of does side-by-side shots and it's white across. You know the scene in the music shop where Scott breaks up with knives? They Uh shot that whole scene entirely in green screen. So when um, he breaks up with knives, and then the whole background goes to black, they would be in the same position. And so they shot it in green screen. So like nothing would be cut or they wouldn't be, they wouldn't be off by a certain space when it came to switching from the music shop background to just the back, the black background. This is I mental. Know. Like so much care went into so much of this movie. Edgar Wright, damn. And Another thing, like, the amount of times the letter X crops up throughout the movie. Yeah, I did notice that. Like, the scene, like, you see that massive X in the snow. The scene when Scott's on the bus with Ramona and she says, you might have to defeat my seven evil Xs. If you look at the lights in the background, some are in the shape of hearts and some are in the shape of Xs. Yeah, and then there's the scene after him. He's fought Todd, and he's walking down the street, and there are five X's above him on the road, and then two X's off to the side in different colours because he's defeated two. So let's move on to X number four. Five? Number four, Roxy <laughs> by May Whitman. Roxy. It was a phase. I just like how. It's sort of built up very well throughout the movie because there's a couple of times throughout the movie Scott says seven evil ex-boyfriends and Ramona quickly corrects him with seven evil exes, yes. And she does that a couple of times. But you don't really pick up on it until the moment Scott says, why do you keep repeating yourself? And then Roxy enters the chat. Uh, I think this might be my favourite fight scene. Yeah, it's really cool. I really like this fight scene. I love the quote, I'm by Furious. <laughs> I kind of hate how much I like that quote because it could have been so cringy, but the way it's delivered is just hilarious from Mae Whitman. The whole thing with um, Roxy and Ramona fighting and then Ramona using Scott to fight because he's the one that has to defeat the evil ex. But it's not like he's actually fighting her. It's like Ramona's controlling him. Yeah. Like Yeah, I, I really like that element. Like, the whole stunt team is incredible, but the stunt coordinator, Mr. Bradley James Allen, really outdid himself. The entire stunt team were just incredible, and the way that these fight scenes were done was so entertaining because usually I switch off at fight scenes. I'm just like, 
oh, they're getting beat up, I guess, and then just sort of zone out for like four minutes. I'm that sort of person. But with these fight scenes, I was engaged throughout. Like, I didn't want to miss a single hit. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Moving on to our fifth and sixth Evil X, because they are twins, ladies and gentlemen. It's Ken and Kyle Katayanagi, played by Shota Sato and Kita Saito. I really hope I pronounced those names right, because... (laughs) They sounded right to me. (laughs) yeah these were the x's that i was sort of underwhelmed by not because of the twins' performances i thought they were fine i just wish that there was a little bit more to them i wish they had more dialogue for one and i think they deserved more than just that little scene agreed i would have liked to see a bit more of them i kind of feel like they just appear and then three minutes three minutes later, they disappear. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I loved the whole music battle thing. I thought that was really fun because it was something different than, you know, a physical fight that we've just been watching for the past, like, 50 minutes or whatever. So I quite like the change-up. I'm really impressed by it because apparently um, the actors who played the twins, they're Japanese, and they either didn't speak much English or didn't know English, like, period. So the majority of their communication with Edgar Wright was more just hand gestures. And for them to be able to communicate and, like, properly work together, and even though they were only in it for a short time, and I do wish they had a bit more to them, for them to really perform, like, and act their parts really well, I just think that's pretty impressive. Yeah, definitely. Especially when they probably didn't know what the script meant, <laughs> most of it, bless them. Yeah, no, I, I really do appreciate that. <laughs> killing it. They're all killing it. They are. I guess that leads us on to the seventh evil X, and I guess the big bad of the whole it, movie. It's here. It's here. The man with the plan, the brains behind the operation, the man with the money, he's literally everything. Mr. Gideon Graves, played by Jason Schwartzman. Amazing kind of villain. All of the exes have been villains, but I think you could class him as the main villain. Yeah. Jason Schwartzman was also in a film called Saving Mr. Banks, and he played one of the Sherman brothers, so that film has been ruined for me now because every time I see him sing Feed the Birds, I'm just going to think, why is Gideon singing Feed the Birds in front of Tom Hanks? This is wild. <laughs> I'm really impressed just by Jason's performance, but just Gideon as a character, I really like him, but yeah. I really hate him because he's evil and controlling and manipulative but he plays it so well he's a great villain and jason plays a great villain and i think it's it's all down to his performance and the way that the character is written i mean there are many people 
who are like Gideon, unfortunately. But obviously, this is amped up to the max. Like, it is, it is almost like a pantomime villain, but it isn't to the point where it's unwatchable. Yeah. It's kind of believable in the world it's set in because I think everything is overplayed in this film. So I think they really, really had a nice mix with Gideon's character there. What I really like, not specifically about Gideon, but just as a whole, like something that we learn from all seven exes and Ramona is the whole, it's okay if you have a bit of a past and that idea of people who were in your life do not define who you are now. Who you were with your ex doesn't define who you will become but also it does show that it's common and it is very easy to fall back into bad habits or to feel a connection to people whether they are good for you or they're not I feel like in that circumstance like you've just said it's all very real but played up for this kind of movie and for for me when I was watching this movie for the first time I think I watched it a couple of years after it came out. So I, I think I, I want to say I was maybe 13 when I first saw it. Watching that, not really having that click, but still being able to sort of understand what it was saying. But at that age, I was too busy being like, oh my God, fight scenes. <laughs> but then watching it as I've been growing up and then re-watching it again for this podcast and doing research on it, and then finding out that that was kind of a story that they were deliberately trying to tell. It just gives me a whole new level of appreciation for this film that I didn't even think was possible to appreciate it even more than I already did. The, the messages are really well like spoken and shown like throughout the entire film. It doesn't completely devour the film, but you can tell there. It's For such an over-the-top film, the messages are actually pretty subtle, and I quite like that mix. So that was Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And that is why it is one of my favourite movies. Maybe my favourite. I have loved this episode. Your love for this film like really comes through. It's yeah, it's been it's been really nice to do this and I'm glad that I watched it a second time. Because I, I enjoyed it a lot more. And now I'm looking forward to my next rewatch because who knows? I might still you know think it's great i might even love it even more who knows i'm just really happy that you like it yeah <laughs> i don't think we, we would have been friends anymore if i hated it <laughs> this would have I, been a very different episode <laughs> i really came off that way at the start and that very much like if you do not like this movie then what is wrong with you <laughs> It would have been interesting to because of how much I love this movie and just to hear your take on it if you didn't particularly like it because you as a person, you whether you particularly like something or not doesn't mean you don't appreciate it or you can't respect it for what it is or you like what it's trying to do or there are parts of it that you can get with and parts of it that you can't. You're someone who very much says just because I do not like this film doesn't mean it's a bad film kind of thing. I was interested in what your perspective would have been if you didn't like it, but I'm glad that you did. 
Ah. Well, I think this takes us to the end of the episode. Oliver, what is your score? Ah. Uh, <laughs> my heart wants to give it 10 evil X's out of 10. I think I'm going to give it an 8. 8 evil X's out of 10. Do you know what's really funny, Oliver? What? I have the exact same score. <gasps> I have given it an eight evil X's out of ten evil X's. <laughs> Doing this episode has made me really happy. <laughs> same. I'm in a really good mood now. Um, Let's watch the film again. Why not? Yes. I was. Got Pilgrim 2. <laughs> the rewatch. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Uh, so yeah I guess that's it thank you very much for listening Lucy what should the people do yeah so basically we have a Facebook page please like our Facebook page please do it then leave us a review on iTunes if you are really loving our episodes we're also on Spotify follow us on there and we also hopefully at this point have a YouTube channel where you can listen to our podcast episodes, but we have subtitles. We have subtitles, people. So if the audio is a little bit off, because we don't have microphones or anything, so sometimes things can get lost in there, you'll be able to know what we say. <laughs> well, that wouldn't that be lovely for people to actually be able to understand us when we're speaking? <laughs> yes. So please subscribe to our channel on there as well, if it's up at this point. Uh, and I guess that leads us into our favourite movie quote this week from Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. I can't believe I'm about to do this. <laughs> Go on, Oliver, it's your chance. Lucy, ask me what kind of tea we have. So, what kind of tea do you have? Uh, we have blueberry, raspberry, ginseng, sleepy time, green tea, green tea with lemon, green tea with lemon and honey, liver disaster, ginger with honey, ginger without honey, vanilla almond, white truffle, blueberry, chamomile, vanilla walnut, constant common, and Earl Grey. <laughs>